Good morning. Yes, it's me again. I'll go ahead and save you the remark right up front. Uh, the rules are still the same. Tim is still your normal preacher. I remain your abnormal preacher. Um, Tim, we wish you the best. Uh, I know he's healing and he's getting stronger and getting better. Is he here? Oh, there you are. Uh, I was told that uh, you had all the intentions to be up here today. You're bored, you're ready to get busy, ready to get back up here, uh, but your healing needs just a little bit more time to, uh, to make sure that's right. So we miss you and I'm glad that you're doing better and we just can't wait, as can anyone else, to wait for you to get back up here. Um, so this morning, I'd like to talk to you just very briefly about something. It's a great lesson for other people. This will probably have no bearing or connection with you whatsoever, but I'm sure you know somebody that has difficulty controlling what they say. Yeah, and, and you're all looking around. Don't look around. I am talking directly at you, right? And I need you to understand something as we go through this. There's a twist in this, because we're going to focus on what you would normally focus on. And this idea of taming or controlling the tongue but you may not make progress, at least as rapidly or if, if at all, if you don't understand what the Bible teaches us about the tongue. We all understand the power of positive words, at least I hope we do. You know, especially in this congregation, I've been the recipient of many of them. People who send me notes, cards, or say something, or if we're going through a trial or a challenge, they'll be the first to come up and, and give me some form of encouragement. And so I don't want to make this all negative. Words are incredibly powerful. In Proverbs 16.24, it says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. This idea of gracious is really kind or pleasant. How great it is to hear something that is kind and pleasant, especially in this world. It doesn't happen very often. In fact, it hardly happens outside of these walls here at all. Or in Proverbs 15.23, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word? How many times have you been at your wit's end? Maybe going through something, I mean, you don't know if you could go another inch, and then all of a sudden, somewhere, somebody says something to you that really spurs you on. It's the timing of that that matters. You think that's a coincidence? I think not. God knows what you need. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. And finally, in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You see the picture here? The picture that's being painted in the positive side is just that. The idea of building each other up, expressing your love for one another, encouraging one another. You know, we're all, we all go through something. If you're not going through it now, it just means you're not going through it yet. Right, But you're, we're all either going through it or soon to go through something. The power of words, tremendous. And God calls us to act. So with this in mind, let's make sure we understand the good. But there's also a dark side to the tongue. And a very dark side at that. And that's really what I want to talk to you about. Because in many cases, we either are the recipients of these or at times you'll find yourself in some of these, and we have to have kind of a topology. I've got to go through and try to capture a few of these, and I doubt I captured them all. But there's a reason why it's important to understand it. 
In Proverbs 18.21, it says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Life and death? So if this is a matter of life and death, do I have your attention? Trying to find out where this sits. Is this just something you can store away as, as a better way to speak? Maybe improve your vocabulary? Say a few kind words now and then? Temper what you say? It's more than that. Words have the power of life and death. In one sense, we can confess that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We can use those same words to go to God in prayer. We could use those words to lift up our brothers and sisters. But you know what else we can do with those words? The exact opposite of everything I just said. It's to tear down those relationships, to build up walls, to start divisions and quarrels where they don't even exist, to ensure that healing never takes place, and to use those very words to be ungrateful for the things, to grumble against God, and to complain. It has the power of life and death, which means it matters. We also have in James 1.26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is what? Worthless. Yeah, we're allowed to talk, right? I checked in the book of First Opinions. It says we're allowed to actually interact. Uh, so this idea, your religion is worthless. Can you imagine? If you can't control what you say, the very faith that you proclaim, has no value. I hope I have your attention in that. What we say matters. Now, we talk to people all the time that say, you know what, I don't believe a word that you're saying because, you know what, I've got a few characteristics about my personality. Tell me if you've heard these before. I just tell it like it is. <laughs> Except that it ain't. They tell it like they think it is, right? I say what's on my mind which often my retort is, and that's the problem. <laughs> Thanks for the confession, now we can probably move on. And then third, if it offends you, what I, if what I'm saying offends you, that's your problem. These aren't very constructive. These aren't good excuses to make. In fact, these are, in fact, as I mentioned, confessions where people don't even realize what they're admitting to. Now, I'm going to indulge your patience. James chapter 3. Yes, the entire chapter. Only a few sentences here. This is too long. So what I've written in here for people aren't here is stop freaking out, look it up, you can do it. <laughs> and then for those who are still looking at me seriously, stop reading this on the screen and go look it up. In James chapter 3, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Amen to that? Amen. Right? We all stumble. Let's make sure we understand who this is written to. Us, normal people, we stumble. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their, how much of their body? Their whole body in check. This is an impossible standard, but one for which we should strive. Right? But your whole body in check based on what we say. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by what? A very small rudder. Whenever, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of life, of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord our Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shall not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers can sis- and brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You can't have it both ways. The idea is that the tongue is important, but it's also restless. What a great way to describe it. Full of poison. With it, we can do great things, but how quickly can it turn to where we're saying something that is quite negative? And so let's look at these symptoms. And I'm calling them symptoms. This should be a hint. If these are the symptoms, it's not the root cause. And I want you to think about how fruitless maybe it has been for you just to focus on what you say and not understand where the root cause is coming from. And I hope you'll see that. This is probably the most apparent. When we talk about the tongue, we almost, especially in a church setting, this is where we go. This is about lying. Well, here's the news flash for you. God detests lying, right? And we know that because it says in Proverbs 12, 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And we could probably have 5,000 scriptures up here that say the very same thing about lying. But when somebody detests something, I think that's pretty strong language. I could probably piece out right here, right? God doesn't like us to lie. Now, I've talked about lying in settings like this before, and, and I've had some interesting conversation from people that say, well, you mean there's no reason to ever lie? Okay, well, read that. God detests lying. Now, are there situations where somebody might lie for protection, to protect somebody? If someone knocks on your door and asks you if you're home alone, you want to be truthful? Uh, How about the idea of when it's insignificant or there's really nothing at stake and you're very polite? You know, there's a fine line between just being polite and lying. I've had meals at places before when someone asked me, hey, how was it? It was good, thank you. Because they've invited me over, right? Now, if they're, on a, if they're a personal chef or you know, trying to make a, a living off cooking, I'm probably gonna be more honest because the key issue, it's trivial. It's a trivial matter that I'm just trying to be polite. Someone's asked me before, what do you think of the color of my car that I just bought? And I looked at it and I'm like, hmm. I might say things like, that's interesting or that's different, right? So there, I don't like the term white lie because it means that somehow we can say things in a way that's really not a lie, but you understand what we're talking about for issues of safety or just being polite. I'm not trying to polarize this or make it something it's not, but we're talking about matters of significance here is what God is describing. You know, I went, when I was researching some of this, I came across the most viewed website of guys telling their significant others I guess, semi-untruths. 
And so I looked at the top 10 of these, and I only put a few down here. Uh, but here are from, from guys talking about when they're asking questions. Uh, and I guess in this one, they were asked, you know, what do you want to watch tonight? And the answer was romantic comedy. Yep, that's what I wanted to watch too. Uh, was I cold last night? Nah, you know, I really don't use the blanket much anyway. This shirt is exactly what I would have picked myself. You're right. This bed doesn't need another throw pillow. Maybe two. I'm super excited about your family reunion as well. And then this was in the top 10. Of course I noticed your haircut, which men are completely unobservant in many cases, right? So we have instances where we sometimes, out of politeness, may say some things uh, and stretching the truth a bit. But the Bible clearly warns us about lying, as we just mentioned. And you know, this idea of James 8.31 about the truth setting you free, one of the, the uh, quotes that I've come across years ago that I really appreciate says, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable, right? And how many times do you know what needs to be said, but you so don't want to say it? Whether it's pride or whatever it is that's preventing you from doing it, the truth will set you free, but you know what? If you don't take advantage of it, you'll be miserable through the whole process. It doesn't mean it's comfortable or it's easy. So let's take a look at another one. The slanderous and gossiping tongue. Clearly, again, for other people, right? You just ought to know about it. The Bible talks to us about gossiping. A gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you may not be the one gossiping. But listen to this in Proverbs 18.8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Have you ever... This is rhetorical, so please don't stand up or raise your hand. Have you ever been subject to hearing somebody gossip when it was hard to stop listening? Because you wanted to hear what they were saying. You can admit it internally. And that's what this verse is talking about. Sometimes it's just so salacious. But you know what takes at least two to gossip? When the person is spitting out the gossip, you know that you can cut that off, walk away, or change the subject? You have a role and responsibility. Certainly you shouldn't be the one betraying confidence. But these behaviors is to break people down, is to say bad things about them, is to reveal some things said in confidence. For what purpose? Normally to bring them down and bring you up. This isn't the Hunger Games. This is supposed to be the idea of building each other up as we started. And how does this work at cross purposes? And I'll tell you something, the workaround to this, which I've seen, it's no workaround at all. But don't preface your ability to gossip with, we need to pray for so-and-so. Because that's how we do it. That's how we do it in the church. We're going to really need to pray for Brother Dennis. Have you heard what's going on in his life? And then everything you want to gossip about, just go ahead and start talking about it. Because you preface it with prayer. It's almost like using with all due respect. Nothing respectful comes after that. So the workarounds aren't really workarounds. It takes two in order to have that happen. What about the harsh tongue? I find this to be more prevalent in the church than anything else. You know, we can use the Bible as a blunt instrument and just beat people up all the time. And people say, well, you know, it's true. What I said was true. But isn't the tone and how it's delivered? Isn't the situation and the setting, does that matter? 
Do you come off as righteous and pretentious in the way that you do it? It's not good enough just to be right. It's got to be delivered out of love. And sometimes we leave the love out of it. We wonder why people are so turned off by what we say. I use a, a, a phrase all the time. You can be right and be wrong. It's not good enough just to be right. In Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gentleness in the way we speak. Caring about somebody's feelings. Wondering where they are at the time you're having the conversation. You know when the bad time is? When they're highly emotional. You know what? Looks like you're really emotional right now. Why don't we open up some controversial topics? Why don't we start with your life and how messed up it is? This sounds like a really good time. And I'm going to quote you some scripture. You're not arguing with me. You're arguing with scripture. Because scripture's right. But what about the tone? What about the timing that we're doing these things? This gentle spirit can work right to the heart of somebody. Because you come at them with love, understanding, and maybe even I've been there. It might even be, I'm still there. I can relate to exactly what you're saying because I'm there right now. And I'm struggling. You talk about melting away all these barriers because the world doesn't show any love. The world's a very tough place, but we should be people showing love. What about the impulsive and quarrelsome tongue? Speaking before one should, flying off the handle, being judgmental before you even have the facts, attacking people, provoking. Some people just want strife. You know people like that? where something as good is going on, and they're like, we're going to have to upset this because there's not enough controversy here. Let's get some controversy going. They just seem to thrive in that. And if it's not present, they'll make it present. That's not what God has in mind for us. The Bible talks a little bit about this. In James chapter 1-9, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'm no doctor. But I believe we could probably run a scientific experiment with people who just fly off the handle before they have all the facts. I think they're using so much blood and oxygen into what they say that it's not, a lot, not left for the brains. There's a competition going on, and they're not even thinking. And in fact, sometimes they don't just get hysterical in their conversation. They get historical. They go all the way back and talk about things that happened 20 years ago. And you're like, what have I unpacked? You know, in this convert, where is this coming from? This idea of, of being slow to speak and slow to become angry. In Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control over one who takes a whole city. Self-control? Who talks about that anymore? The Bible does. You have a responsibility to control yourself. Now, the good news is you've got the power of Christ in your life to help you. But it's your responsibility. It's not good enough to say, but you make me this way. You made me angry. You know who can make you angry? You. You're responsible for your feelings. Proverbs 18.6. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. You can use this the wrong way. I debated even putting up. The, there'll be no fighting, right? But someone will go, I heard and write in the Bible, that person needed a good punch in the face. That's not what this is saying. This is saying that you're going to invite strife into your life when you act this way. You're not going to find the peace you're searching for. 
If you use this kind of language, if you're always flying off the handle, if you're always quarrelsome, you're not going to have a calm, peaceful, productive life. You're going to invite calamity. And in Proverbs 18, uh, second verse, fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. This is a, a better way of saying sometimes people aren't even listening to you. They're just waiting for their turn to talk. You ever seen that? You ever experienced that where you're talking to someone and you can tell the wheels aren't even on? It's like, are you done yet? Because I've got all kinds of things to say. This idea of impulsive and quarrelsome tongues, very dangerous. What about the proud and ungrateful tongue? Anyone ever grumbled? Grumbled under your breath? Said some things? And then you, maybe someone says, what did you say? And you're like, was that my outside voice? Did I actually say that? Because you're thinking it, right? God hears everything. In fact, most people hear everything. And if they can't understand the words, they can probably see it on your face. Your face kind of gives you away. James 4, 6, but he who gives us more grace, that is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. This idea that we fail to recognize all the things that God has done for us. We don't have any gratitude. We don't understand, you know, there are people for whatever trials you're having right now, and there are some people in, among us right here this morning that are going through almost unspeakable trials. I've heard of a few, we pray for a few, but for in some cases, we don't even know the tip of the iceberg. And sometimes when you think you're going through something, and then you hear what other people are going through, and you realize, man, God is really blessing me in areas, but I'm not focused on them, I'm only focused on the negative. This idea about being ungrateful or pride, thinking that the works that you have, the blessings you have in your life all come from you, I'm not saying you don't work hard. I'm not saying you don't pray hard, but never underestimate the power of God in your life for the good things that are in your life because all good things come from God. But yet sometimes we don't act that way. We don't say those things. We don't actually take the time to understand from where they come. In Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, we read this all the time. Pride goes before destruction, or in some translations, a fall. A haughty spirit before a fall. And this haughty idea, we don't use that term much, it just means arrogant. This idea of being arrogant. When you want to know something bad's going to happen in your life, be arrogant. There's your warning sign. Have a lot of pride in your life. You're probably not going to like what happens next. But we also have the converse of that. And then one that we never talk about, the silent tongue. Not speaking up when you should, not acting when you should, not doing the things that you should. Do you realize that sometimes sitting in silence is worse? Have you ever had a situation where you should have spoken up and you didn't? Or you should have acted and you didn't? In some cases, people look at that and say, you know what, that's even a bigger betrayal because you just sat there silently. Our tongues can have great power. And we ought to use them. All of those gracious things that we talked about up front. If you believe it, but you don't execute it, and you have the silent tongue because you're afraid of how that's going to be perceived, or maybe you don't think you're too eloquent, then you just emptied the power of God in your life. Because we have a lot of examples of people in the Bible who weren't very eloquent, but they had God with them. And things worked well. Because things always work well when God's at the lead and God's at the center. So now to the punchline. Talked about tongues. So you know, many times a lesson ends right here. And you're told to go home and work on what you say. And that's good for about five minutes until you get in the car. 
And then on your way home, you can't even make it halfway down to wherever you live, right? And all of a sudden, words are flying, probably talking about the bad preaching today. You know, who knows what you're talking about? I don't know. But you're out there and you're talking and, and you can't, because you're not focused on the right thing, you got to understand. We, we can understand because the Bible teaches us, right? And we have in Matthew 15, 17 through 19, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these defile them, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. You see where this is coming from? Things that go into the body, that's a biology lesson. We don't need to go through that. But what comes out of your mouth comes from where? The heart. The heart is the issue. The mouth is just the follow-through. The problem you're having, if you're having a problem in any of these areas, which I'm guessing we all are, you've got to focus on the heart. And so here's this idea of Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. I don't know that there's a more... If you asked me to pick one scripture verse, and that's all I would talk about this morning, it would be that. Because it uses simple terms for me. Above all else means what? There's nothing higher. It's above all else. It's at the top. So if you want one thing to fix, guard your heart. Because if your heart is corrupt, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. It's going to corrupt your belief system. You're not going to be able to internalize what God has in store for you. Above all else, guard your heart. So in order for you to guard your heart, you've got to know what that means. This is, this is proprietary, but I'm giving it to you today. Okay? Clearly this belongs in a scientific textbook somewhere or a spiritual textbook. But this is me on a PowerPoint slide late at night trying to explain yet another concept that I think has come straight from the Bible. This is how I believe we're, we're actually working. And this idea of how things flow, we all start at the top, right? With these ideas of what we think and what we believe. The tongue is up there, but that's, that's already the out, it's already happening. That's not the root cause. That's how it's manifest. But if you think about your belief system, right? We're going to talk about how do you guard your heart. What is in your heart flows to your actions, your speech, whatever that may be, what you do, what you don't do. But you know what? Your belief system is what we really need to focus on. What programs your beliefs? Your heart is a programming device. It's ready to receive. And if you're programming yourself through the word of God and the company you keep, then your heart's going to be pure. You're going to ask God for that pure heart, just like David did, and you're going to be programming yourself to the mind of God, and guess what? Your actions will flow in godly ways, to include speech. But if the input is from the world, then don't expect your heart to be pure. Don't expect your heart to be programmed right. And we all, I get this all the time, well, you know, that's why we have your conscience. Your conscience will be your guide. Really? Your conscience is nothing but a binary uh, engineering device that takes your actions and your beliefs and tells you whether or not they're in sync. Your conscience isn't programmed to be godly. You program your conscience. Your conscience just says, are you acting with the way you believe? Do you realize over time, if you allow the world to influence you, the music you listen to, TV shows you watch, the movies, the company you keep, if you poison yourself from a worldly view, then your actions, when they're worldly, your conscience will give you the big thumbs up. 
It'll look at you and say, your belief system looks like this. We've programmed your heart to be like the world. You're acting just like the world. All good here. This is why we need to understand in guarding our hearts. The first thing, there's only three and I'm done. We've got to renew our minds. It says in Romans 12:2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see what's happening? That's the programming side of this. You can't test God's will unless you know what it is. You have to transform. That means to change it. And look at what it's talking about. Why does it open with do not conform to the pattern of this world? Why does that start this sentence? Because there's a contrast being made here. The world has one view. God has another. Stop being surprised. So we need to understand it. And so when you fill yourself with worldly things, your heart will be filled with a worldly viewpoint and your actions will likely be worldly. If you fill yourself with godly things, then you'll be able to test God's will. You'll be able to know whether the thing that you're wrestling with is in God's will or outside of God's will. You know why I didn't put a Venn diagram up here? Because there's nothing to Venn. They are separate. They're entirely separate. But you can't test his will unless you know it. And look at how it describes his will. Good, pleasing, and perfect. You don't see that described with the worldly view. In fact, it's rather destructive. The second thing you need to do to guard your heart, this is the idea is to protect it, is to pray. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on when? All occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Always, 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 all kinds. You need to be connected to God. You're renewing your mind. You're studying his word. You're asking him questions. You're asking him for intervention. This is your lifeline for your belief system. If you don't understand something, ask God for understanding. God will give it to you. Seek him. You'll find it. In fact, I argue it's not just if you seek God, you'll find it. Whatever you seek, you'll probably find. And there's some things that are best left unfound. But this is the idea of praying. So first, we've got to renew our mind. We've got to go to God, be transformed. We have to pray. And then lastly, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, again, pray continually, but give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This idea of gratitude. You know what's hard? to be arrogant when you have gratitude for what God has given you. You know, it's hard to be proud when you understand how God has worked in your life and what he's given you. You know, it's hard to feel so special that you're above everybody else and that you're better than everybody else when you realize how God has transformed you. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. In the flesh, we will struggle until God takes us home. You will struggle every day. I pray that you do. Because the alternative is you've given up. We don't want to quit. Renew your mind. Pray continuously. And practice God, uh, good gratitude. What comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. Let's be people who, above all else, guard our hearts. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward as we stand and sing.